Thank you so much, Jason, for leading our service today. And thank you so much to Lin and the music team as well for leading us to sing songs. Now, I invite you, brothers and sisters and friends, to keep your Bibles open so you can follow God's Word along with me. And uh, please join me as well. Join our hearts together in prayer. Our living God, please help us now to hear your holy word so that we may truly understand that in understanding we may believe and in believing we may obey in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, I ask, just do a survey. I wonder if you have watched this very brief uh, commercial, this local laundry capsule commercial from last year. Right? So in this commercial, uh, a very clumsy and clueless man was spilling detergent in front of the washing machine. Right? And then his wife hands him this revolutionary laundry capsule. And now he can just effortlessly, effortlessly toss it into the machine and the, the laundry gets done. So the tagline for this is, even men can do it. Even men can do laundry. Here is another ad, and this time this is from China. A woman is doing laundry as a playful African boyfriend pops in. Right? And she pushes a pouch of cleaning detergent into his mouth and then pushes the man into the washing machine. After a wash cycle, she opens the lid and out pops a smiling Asian man. And the tagline, change begins with brand of detergent. Right? So the first ad was criticized or mocked for being sexist. And the second was rightly criticized for being racist. So what's the conclusion we can draw from this? It is dangerous to advertise laundry detergent, right? Both commercials address our perennial problem, and that is how to clean, how to clean our laundry. But both drew controversy and criticism. Jesus came to meet our greatest human need, how to be clean, that is, from sins. And his solution also led to controversy and criticism in his day. To recap, the Lord had begun his public ministry in Galilee with this declaration in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then the Lord immediately shows that he is the king who ushers in God's kingdom, that he's Christ, the Son of God. How does he do it? Well, he does it by showing his authority to first call people to follow him, in verses 16 to 20, to teach in the synagogue, to teach God's word in the synagogue, in verses 21 and 22, to heal a man with an unclean spirit, in chapter 1, verses 23 to 28, and fourth to heal Simon's mother-in-law and many others in verses 29 to 34. So today in Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to chapter 2, verse 17, the Lord Jesus is going to show us that he is able and willing to cleanse us. He will do this by first showing his willingness to cleanse a leper in chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. 
And then he will show that he's able to do it by healing a paralytic in chapter 2, in the first 12 verses. And finally, he will show that he is here to cleanse us by eating with tax collectors and sinners in the remaining verses. Now, these two miracles of Jesus, the cleansing of the leper and the healing of the paralytic, continue to authenticate to us Jesus' authority to prove that he is indeed Christ, the Son of God. But they also do more than that, especially if we take them together and read them together in conjunction with this eating with the tax collectors and sinners. First, in chapter 1, verses 40 onwards, Jesus shows that he's willing to cleanse when he cleanses a leper. While the Lord was going throughout the whole region of Galilee, he was preaching and casting out demons. In verse 40, somewhere a leper came to him, that is Jesus, imploring him and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. So what is this leper and what is his condition? What is leprosy? Leprosy was a generic name in the Bible for a wide range of different skin diseases. It's not necessarily Hansen's disease that is curable nowadays uh, with early detection. But in ancient times, leprosy was seen as an incurable and infectious disease. Lepers were required to live outside of cities. They wore torn clothes to mark themselves out. They wore they kept unkempt hair, so they cannot comb their hair. And they had to shout out, unclean, unclean, whenever someone comes near them. It was infinitely worse than our COVID-19 quarantine order, right, which at its longest was about 21 days. Because lepers were often isolated from, for life, for their whole life, from their family and from society and there was no hotel for them to stay in. Leprosy was a disease that affected people not just medically, but also socially and religiously. The book of Leviticus contains two whole chapters of law on how to determine if the leprosy is contagious, whether a leper is finally cured, and how the recovered leper can then be proclaimed clean by a priest and then returned into society. And yet this leper showed great boldness and deep humility in coming to Jesus. Great boldness, right? Because he risked being driven away by the crowd or being rejected by Jesus. But this man was really desperate and helpless. And so he came. He came and fell on his knees to beseech Jesus. If you will, you can make me clean. Now, for a man to kneel shows deep humility and great eagerness. And perhaps most men, like me, you have only knelt once in your whole life, right? And that is to propose. So this photo actually shows the spot, the exact spot where I proposed to my wife in 2007. Okay? And this is the place where uh, my whole life changed and I found happiness and we've been blissfully married for 14 years. Furthermore, this man, this leper, also showed strong faith in Jesus. Right? Notice that he didn't say, if you can, right? not his ability, but if you will, his willingness. He had no doubt that Jesus 
can make him clean. He only wondered whether Jesus was willing. But Jesus' response shows that he is more than willing, totally unconcerned with the medical threats of contagion, totally unconcerned with the social taboo of leprosy, and with the religious implication of becoming unclean as a result. Jesus showed compassion to this man. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Imagine Jesus can't ever be infected with COVID-19 through coming into contact with a positive case. Instead, it is the COVID patient who gets cleansed of the virus by touching Jesus. Now, for a man who's been shunned even by family all of his life, can you just imagine how this gentle touch from the Lord would have been so restorative, so restoring to him? But more than that, we also read in verse 42, And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. See, the disease submits to Jesus' authority. It departed from the leper, who is now clean. Notice in this section, the word cleanse or clean is used four times. Right? The leper asked to be cleansed, not healed. Jesus said, be clean, not be healed. And the leper was made clean, not healed. Right? So Jesus cleansed the leper. And uh, in the end, the leper had to make offering for his cleansing. The emphasis in this incident is on the ceremonial and the social aspects of leprosy and not on the medical. Verse 41 also tells us that Jesus was moved with pity. A possible alternative reading of this is that Jesus was actually moved with anger, right? not pity but anger. Anger not directed at the man, as if the man doubted his willingness to heal and so Jesus was angry with him. No, that's, not, that's probably not the case. But more likely, Jesus was angry at how sin has ravaged humanity and has resulted in uncleanness and relational brokenness. And this is what Christ has come to deal with. At once, Jesus sends the recovered leper away and he gave them this very solemn twofold order in verse 44. First, tell no one what Jesus did. And perhaps this was to prevent the false enthusiasm that we will see later in verse 45. But second part, go to the priest and present the offerings prescribed by Moses that is found in Leviticus chapter 14, so that this man may be received back into fellowship with God's people once again. This is like the exit PCR test that we used to have to do in our old quarantine order, right? Now, leprosy has made this man unclean and unable to participate in the Jewish religious life. But Jesus has made him clean and now he's fit for fellowship with God's people. He needs to do this PCR test, exit test. He just needs to present himself to the priest to get a clearance certificate to re-enter society again. So what did he do? Well, we found that this man disobeyed the first part of Jesus' order. But we are not told whether he obeyed the second part. 
maybe he just couldn't help sharing the good news about what had happened to him. But there are consequences, as we see. As he went out and began to talk freely about it and to share the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So this man's disobedience held consequences for Jesus' ministry. We move on now to chapter 2. After spending some days in desolate places, Jesus returned once again to Capernaum, where he has made his home during his ministry in Galilee. And there, Jesus proves that he's able to cleanse by healing a paralytic. News of his return travelled very fast, and Jesus is soon again swarmed by crowds. In verse 2 we read, Many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And as the Lord resumed his preaching once again, we read in verse 3, Some people came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, a typical house in Galilee would look something like this. It had a roof that was made of wooden beams and it was covered with a layer of straw plastered with mud. This friends, what they had to do was to climb onto the roof from the side and dismantle a rather large portion of the roof in order to lower their friend, their paralyzed friend, down in front of Jesus. And that is why it says in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of these friends, and perhaps also of the paralytic, wasn't just theoretical. It was visibly shown by their actions. See, they really believed that the Lord could heal their friend and they were willing to take serious steps. Whether the paralytic had faith in Jesus or not, it seemed like he was completely dependent on others. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, he said, rise, take up your bed and walk. Or at least that's what we have expected, right? Instead, Jesus said this, Son, your sins are forgiven. And it is like going to a dentist for your toothache and then in return, the dentist gives you a box of bakwa instead, right? And it's actually quite timely now for Chinese New Year. Okay, so perhaps you might, be, you might be happy, but you have to leave with the pain. Did Jesus misunderstand their intentions? He thought that they wanted forgiveness when they wanted healing. So there are some possibilities. Perhaps Jesus knew that this man had some secret hidden sins that were the real cause behind his paralysis. Or he has been told so, right? That this man has been told that he had some sins. Or maybe this man was guilt-ridden and was more concerned about his spiritual condition rather than his physical ailment. And Jesus was simply addressing his deeper concern. But I think that it is most, most likely that Jesus was forgiving this sinner, because all of us are sinners. So Jesus was forgiving sins within the context of the repentance and faith that he demanded in his preaching of the kingdom of God. 
And so because this man had real faith in Jesus, Jesus forgave his sins. Now, Jesus' words here again drew criticism from some scribes. The law experts from the, from the sect of the Pharisees, they were, they were offended by Jesus' words. And we read in verse 6, they were questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, these scribes, were they right in saying that who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, they were right. They were right to say that only God can forgive sins and that it is blasphemous for anyone to claim to actually forgive sins as opposed to what the priests and the prophets do, which is to pronounce God's forgiveness of sins. Right? Jesus seems to be saying that he can actually forgive sins and they were offended by this. But it was because they didn't really know who Jesus was. Jesus proves that he is God, that he has divine knowledge in the next verse, in verse 8. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. See, Jesus perceived what they thought because he is God. And here Jesus was going to make an alphatore uh, argument, meaning he's going to reason from the stronger to the weaker. To say your sins are forgiven is certainly easier since no hard evidence is required to prove it. Whereas to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, will require immediate proof. So I think it can, it's quite safe to say that if you can comprehend quantum mechanics, right, which is some of this formula on the board, which is totally uh, unknown to me, that if you can understand quantum mechanics and these equations, you should also be able to solve PSLE math questions as well, right? I certainly hope so, huh? The question on the scribe's mind was this, is Jesus able to cleanse this man or does he really have divine authority to forgive this man's sins? And their own answer was a clear no because they don't know who Jesus is. And so Jesus said in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Now it is quite apparent that the Lord does have the authority, the ability to do the greater thing which requires hard evidence. The man rose and immediately picked up his bed and went home in front of them all. This miracle was so undeniable that everyone was amazed and glorified God, even the critics of Jesus. So now, no one can deny Jesus' claim to do the lesser thing. Lesser in quotation marks, because forgiveness of sins is actually the fundamental and more essential thing 
for humanity. All the world's problems, whether it is medical or social or religious or environmental, they are but the natural consequences of sin, of our collective sin and rebellion against God. And paralysis and leprosy are just two examples of this. They are the result of God's divine judgment on our collective sin. But the Lord Jesus has come to deal even with our sin. It says this in verse 10, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. Here the Lord Jesus invokes his most uh, personally used title, the title that he used the most for himself, which is the Son of Man. And this Son of Man is the man in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, who approached the ancients of days and received from God dominion, glory, and a kingdom, and the worship of all peoples, nations, and languages. Who but God is worthy to receive worship? As this heavenly Son of Man, Jesus does have the divine authority to forgive sins. In fact, that is the very reason he's come, to bring God's forgiveness of sins by his sacrifice. We come now to the third and final incident from verse 13 onwards, where Jesus will show that he is here to cleanse us by eating with tax collectors and sinners. Now, the past two years, our, all our Christmas parties and our Chinese New Year visitations have been affected by the current restrictions, right? So uh, currently, the restriction is five unique visitors a day. So we won't be able to carry out a lot of our Chinese New Year visitations. And do you know that we also haven't had our fellowship meals after services since, I went back to check, since February in 2020. So it's almost two whole years. Do you miss our gatherings and our fellowship meals? I hope you do. We must miss having meals together because it's actually natural for people who are created in God's image to have relationships. And meals are a big part of our relationships. The Bible itself will end with a banquet, a wedding banquet at the end. Jesus' meals here with tax collectors and sinners in chapter 2 came about because as he was teaching by the sea, in verse 14, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. See, it arose from Jesus' calling of Levi. Unlike the four fishermen whom Jesus called to follow him in chapter 1, Levi here was a revenue officer, someone who collected tolls and duties either for Herod Antipas or for the Romans. And he would have been despised by the religious establishment and even the common people as someone who worked for their Gentile overlords. But just like the fishermen who left their nets, their boats and their families in order to follow Jesus, Levi also left his text booth, his whole livelihood. He got up and followed Jesus. He must have heard Jesus preach about the kingdom before this, and now he's repented of his sins. He's turned in faith to follow the Lord on his way. 
And as a beggar who has found food, who has found bread to eat, Levi also delighted to tell his fellow beggars, other tax collectors and sinners, of the bread of life that he's found. And so the next scene finds Jesus reclining at table in Levi's house with his disciples. And there were many tax collectors and sinners who had followed the Lord, perhaps through Levi's introduction. Sinners seem to be a different class, a different group from the tax collectors. They are perhaps people who have blatantly violated the law of Moses, and therefore they are perceived by the Pharisees to be ritually unclean. So they are despised by the religious establishment together with the tax collectors. But to the Lord, these tax collectors and sinners, they are the lost sheep of Israel, the ones for whom he has come, according to his three parables about the lost in Luke 15. So let me just ask you, who would be the, clean, the unclean in your own mind, in your sight? Who doesn't fit in to your view of cleanliness, of respectability? respectability or orthodoxy. And I must confess that I do personally struggle with this as well because personally I'm a stickler for rules. And so I tend to also discriminate you know, those who are law keepers and those who are law breakers. Jesus' fraternizing here with these unclean people over a meal drew criticism again in verse 16. From whom? from the scribes of the, of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Notice that these scribes didn't dare to challenge the Lord directly. Instead, they went behind his back and they asked his disciples. Perhaps this was also to drive a rift between Jesus and his disciples. Now, how would you feel or react if a family member or perhaps a friend were to point to, to a brother or sister in ARPC and they ask you, why does your church receive this person, a convicted swindler or molester or murderer? Why do you receive him into fellowship? Would you then turn against this brother or sister and against the church leaders? Or would you defend them? We aren't told exactly how the disciples responded, but this was clearly brought up to Jesus himself. In verse 17, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, Jesus' reply may have been given to his disciples privately, or perhaps even privately publicly to everyone. It is very simple. Right? Unless you and I recognize and confess that we are sick, we won't ever seek out a, a doctor. And unless the doctors are willing to see us and examine us and get their hands dirty, they won't be able to treat us. It takes both hands to clap, right? but which, hands, which hand moves first? Usually, we will go to the doctor first, right? We take the initiative. But the Lord here came and took initiative as our great physician by calling the sick to come to him. He said, 
I came not to, to, not to call the righteous, but sinners. The sinless Son of God has come into the world to be amongst the unclean and sinners, so that he may make them clean and forgive their sins. So to recap here, Jesus has shown us that he is willing and able to cleanse people, right? by first cleansing the leper and healing the paralytic. And he also shows that he has come to cleanse people by eating with tax collectors and sinners. And since Jesus is willing and able and available as well to cleanse us and forgive our sins, then what are the implications for us? How should you and I respond? There are two groups of people identified by the Lord in verse 17. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Right? So there are those who are sick or sinners and those who are well or righteous. And to those who are sinners, to those of us who already recognize that we are sick and that we need a doctor, Jesus has come to call us. So will we answer his call to repent and believe so that the kingdom of God, God's rule over us as a part of his created order, may come to our, to our lives. What do you have to do in order for that to happen? Well, nothing. Nothing except to kneel before the Lord Jesus, like the leper did, and to plead, if you will, you can make me clean. And today we've seen that the Lord is more than willing to cleanse us. Friends, like the paralytic, you and I have no strength to come to the Lord on our own. The Bible says that we, are, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. So if you find your sins too heavy to bear, come to the cross as Christian did in Bunyan's classic Pilgrim's Progress. There, his burden loosened and fell off his back, and Christian was able to say with a merry heart, he has given me rest, by his sorrow and life by his death. So don't let the only time that you kneel be the time of your proposal. Let the cross be that special place where you kneel, to, you kneel on your knees to the Lord Jesus and you find eternal happiness. Right? Hear Jesus' words that restore us and meet our truest need. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. He is able to cleanse us from our sins and the burden of sin will roll off our back. Third, the Lord has also come to cause sinners. He shows this to us by eating with tax collectors and sinners, those who are rejected by those who are righteous and religious. In response to Jesus' call, Levi left everything from his past behind in order to follow him. The Lord calls us now to come to him as well, to come as you are. But he doesn't just leave us as we are. Sinners like Levi and his friends are changed forever as they were received by Jesus. Jesus offers sinners acceptance and forgiveness of sins as they repent and believe in the gospel. Next, let's consider what does the Lord Jesus offer to those who are righteous. 
I wonder, have you heard of the research that finds that it says that everyone thinks that they are above average? Well, this is called the illusory superiority effect or the Dunning-Kruger effect. This article by CBS News claims that most people overestimate their IQ. For example, in a classic 1977 study, 94% of professors rated themselves above average relative to their peers. 94% are above average. In another study, 32% of the employees of a software company said they performed better than 19 out of 20 of their colleagues. That's to say they're the best. Right? So on that note, I can also say that I'm an above-average preacher, an above-average husband, above-average father. But that's really just an illusion. This illusory superiority effect can seem so real to us. The righteous are, en they are enclosed in quotation marks as well, like the sinners, because this righteous refers to the self-assessment of the religious and the moral. They think that they are well and they have no need for a doctor. But in fact, we are critically ill and dying from cancer. But we like to think of ourselves as healthy and immortal. Well, the Bible tells us the truth. It shines light into our darkness and it tells us that when it comes to sin, that none of us is above average. Psalm 14 verse 3 tells us that there is none who does good not even one. Paul would declare in Romans 3, all, both Jew and Jews and Gentiles, are under sin. And listen to the words of the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The most sensational news last week was perhaps the road rage incident, right? Where, where the driver cuts the queue to enter the school gate for a drop-off and at the, at the same time he pushed back a security officer with his car. What is it about men and some women as well perhaps? Behind wheels, as we get behind the wheel, we seem to get a false sense of superiority, of untouchability. And I'm saying this as a fellow driver who struggles with this as well. But for those of us who don't drive, we may also hide behind the anonymity of our computers as keyboard warriors, right? So lest we think that this incident was an isolated one, uh, I noticed that on the top right corner, you can't see it perhaps, but there's actually another news on the top right corner that day. And let me read out to you. Nine weeks jail sentence for men who pushed 74-year-old cleaner. Again, another rage incident. And I scanned the news for that week and I found some other articles on, for example, an increase of public health care workers being harassed by patients. Abuse of mobility enforcement officers in our national parks. Somehow we think that we are better than those who serve us as public servants or as essential workers, and we treat them as deserving of our abuse. No wonder the number of cases of abuse of migrant domestic workers. Now, this is what we call the seesaw principle. 
Right? The higher the view of ourselves, the lower our view of God and of others, and vice versa. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus came to upset our seesaw. He came to serve the unclean and accept the rejected. Jesus lived a life of lowliness, though he is actually Christ, the Son of God. And we find the Lord rejecting the celebrity culture of his day as he constantly retreats from his fame to go about his Father's work. The Church of Christ is called to be Christ-like and what is often called Christoformity. We are called to be like Christ. But we fail to do so by not accepting and serving those that we see as unclean or lowly because of our self-perceived sense of importance. The popular English preacher George Whitfield, he was ejected from churches of his own denomination in the 18th century for preaching the gospel. Soon he began open-air preaching to coal miners in Kingswood, Bristol in 1739. And he did this for many years. For this, Whitfield constantly met with opposition, strong opposition from the gentlemanly class. One of these men wrote this, The industry of the inferior people in a society is the great source of its prosperity. But if one man, like the Reverend Mr. Whitfield, should have, his in, should have it in his power by his preaching to detain five or six thousands of the vulgar from their daily labour, what a loss this may quickly bring to the public. See, this man was concerned, more concerned that the economy would struggle, would suffer, because people were coming to hear Whitfield preach the gospel. Do we also have this same superiority mindset? Like the scribes who were grumbling that Jesus was eating with the tax collectors and sinners. Lastly, as the Church of Christ, we should adopt Christ culture and not celebrity culture. See, the celebrity culture of our day tells us that it is the gifted, the successful, those who are leading up front, who are to be adored, who are to be admired. And so even when we serve in church, we crave to be seen so that people may know how great we are, not how great thou art, huh? to God. But so I was actually appreciative when earlier uh, Jason pray prayed for those who are working behind the scenes, right? Because sometimes we forget that they are there and without them working behind the scenes, we don't get to hear anything at all in the service. We don't get to hear God's word read, God's word preached. But the Christ culture that is modelled by our Lord is actually to celebrate and honour the ordinary, the unclean. The Apostle Paul confronts celebrity culture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where in verse 22 he says, The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. I can count several times this week alone, and I believe in the, in the next week as well, the Lord will continue to convict me, as he has convicted me this week, of my personal pride. When I think that those who are less honourable, whom 
I'm secretly even ashamed of, put me to shame by honouring the Lord in ways that are beyond expectation. To defend the, the local laundry uh, capsule commercial, well, the laundry ad maker, the laundry maker actually released some statistics to show us, to convince us that actually only 40% of men do laundry. Right? But now with their capsule, even the, the other 60%, all men can do it. When it comes to cleansing our sins though, no man or woman can ever do it until the Son of Man comes as a man, as the sinless one. So now how can we be clean? Only Jesus can do it. Uh, brothers, sisters and friends, if we've failed our Lord and we've sinned in our pride, then hear this assurance from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. John says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's go to God and ask Him to... Con uh, let's confess our sins before God and ask Him for His forgiveness. I'm going to give you some time now to reflect and confess our sins to God. In a few moments, I will then pray for us. Father, we humbly confess that we have sinned against you and against our fellow men. We confess our sins and ask that you have mercy on us according to your steadfast love and abundant mercy. Thank you that Christ, our Lord, is willing and able to cleanse us from our sins and wash us completely from our iniquity. That he went to the cross to accomplish our forgiveness by offering himself as our substitute. Amen.